0: Štan an indó askeige e
1: Táim imíchttaí e dhéhsachcht ar end of chacht a máchan seo gur féidir é chor iúigh ceart lena win féin. Skilti fis Turmi. Tá sé ara igornamion
0: a gin ná grh ááachchttum fracht only Vin Own Third Oxygen, Vin Marav. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. What's happened is we've received a freedom of information request. Uh, We've responded to that request and in the response unfortunately one of our colleagues has embedded the source data. So what was within that data was the surname, the initial, the uh, rank or grade, the location in the department for each of our current employees across the police service. I understand that that will be of considerable concern to many of my colleagues and their families indeed at the moment. The PSNI has been plunged into crisis after an accidental data breach of monumental proportions saw the details of over 10,000 PSNI officers and staff made available online. How could such a catastrophic breach of security happen? With a terrorism threat already set at severe, does this put officers in immediate danger? And could this cost an already underfunded police service tens of millions of pounds? To go through this major story, I'm joined by the Belfast Telegraph's Northern Ireland editor, Sam McBride. Sam, this is an incredible story and one that has huge ramifications. Can you run us through exactly what's happened here and and how you
1: came about the story? Well, maybe if I start from the end of that question and go to the start of it. So yesterday I had finished work. Um, I'd been working at the public record office Uh, this week. The the government files are being declassified and we get to see those a week or two beforehand under embargo. So I was going through those. I'd finished up, got home at tea time and thought I'd finished in good time and um, looked at my phone. There were messages. There uh, there were were, were contacts from various people who were um, in or around the police former office officers, relatives of officers and um, current officers, and they were all drawing attention to the same thing that this data had been um, released by the PSNI, that it had been published on a website. This website is called What Do They Know? And it's well known in media circles, in government circles. It's basically a website which simplifies the process of making a Freedom of Information request. So it's run by the same people that run the They Work For You website, which simplifies the parliamentary record where you can look up your MP, you can see their voting record, you can see what they've talked about, all that sort of stuff. And it puts it out there in a more user-friendly format. But what it does crucially is that it publishes a Freedom of Information request to the world at large. So it doesn't just send it to me, Sam McBride, or to Joe Bloggs, it sends it to the entire world. It's out there publicly and it's an automated system. So you log into that website, you select the public authority wherever in the UK that you want to make a request of, you send it to them and it goes to them and they get an email. But when they reply to that email, it automatically is published on that website. So that's what the ps i had done. Someone had asked for, or re- really quite basic information about the number of officers at different grades, the number of staff at different grades, and that had been sent in a in a spreadsheet in an excel spreadsheet and it was sent yesterday afternoon early yesterday afternoon published on this website automatically. And the other facility of this website, which is which is relevant to this, is that people can follow individual organisations, a bit like social media. You can follow the police service of Northern Ireland. And lots of the people who work in the police service of Northern Ireland, it now seems, follow that on that website and it only took a few of those people presumably to see it and then it started spreading like wildfire. It was going around in WhatsApp groups and other forms of communication and there were there were people just agog at what was in this. It had details of every serving PSNI officer as of the 1st of August, so as of a few days ago, and every m- member of PSNI civilian support staff, so people who operate um, maybe as typists, maybe as people who are involved in analysing Aspects of the um, the um, police's um, work, but aren't actually formally enlisted as officers. Um, people who work in all manner of jobs, press officers, the people who who handle the FOI requests, are in there. Everybody is there, and for each of those individuals, there's an astonishing array of information. And when it was sent to me initially, I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. And then as I started to look at it and scroll down and down, I thought, my goodness, this is just unbelievable.
0: And obviously, this has huge ramifications for the safety of officers. It's only the, the DCI Caldwell attack was in March. There's already a, a raised security threat.
1: This has left Pace and I officers shaken. Massively so. I mean, that that was where this story came from. It came from within the police. Now, on one level, that's reassuring. That means that the people who initially were circulating this do not have any malevolent intent towards police officers. They're, 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 They're not the sort of people who are threatening police officers. However, the supposition here is that that is not where this will have stopped, that someone somewhere will have sent it to the wrong person. And that's the way these things travel. They travel very, very quickly and they're basically irretrievable. And when you, when you look at the information here, so there are 10,799 rows of data in this spreadsheet. And in each of those, there are 32 entries including the name of the individual. It has their surname and not their Christian name, not their first name, but it does have their initials. And it's not just one initial, whatever their initials are. So my initials are SJA McBride. Um, it would say SJA McBride. Now that's quite specific. Then you narrow it down even more than that. It says where they work. So if you work in Belfast, that may or may not be as significant as for some of those who work in quite rural areas. So if you live, for instance, in Oma, in Cookstown, um, in Uri and you have got quite specific initials, maybe a slightly unusual surname, and it then gives your gender. It says says whether you work full time, it says whether you're suspended in some cases, whether you are partly retired, whether you're in a career break. I mean, this is an extraordinary array of data and that—that that, that is the basic data, then the really sensitive stuff is what some of these people do. So some of these people work in intelligence and it says that some of them work in MI5's headquarters. Almost 40 PSNI officers are revealed in this to work in, it, in MI5's headquarters at Hollywood in County Down. And that in itself is pretty significant. I don't think that was known. It was known that there was close cooperation, but I'm not sure that the level of cooperation and the level of PSNI officers almost being embedded in MI5 there, as it seems from this, and we're working off this one piece of very extensive data here, that in itself was very significant. But to then have their names attached to that is about as bad as it gets, short of somebody being physically attacked um, for a police officer. Those are the people in the most sensitive areas. They're dealing with national security. Specifically dealing with dissident republicans—that's what MI5 principally do in Northern Ireland—and um, then you've got all sorts of other people: people who work in riot police, the the TSG squad, um, the people who are the pilots of the PSNI aeroplane and helicopter unit, the people who are the close protection unit, the the, the people who are the bodyguards to senior politicians, to judges. Um, there are people who are listed—I mean, from the chief constable down to his typist—quite literally. They are all there, and it's set out in granular detail. Um, it's not—it's not something which includes crucially their home address, and that's the one good element of this from the perspective of the PSNI security. But that's a pretty small saving grace here.
0: And we've seen some distant Republicans online celebrating this. I mean, that's
1: got to put fear in the in the officers. I mean, I think that any anybody who lives in Northern Ireland, and especially anybody who's in the PSNI, knows that there are people who hate them, who want to kill them. That's obvious. But it's one thing to know that. It's another thing, I suppose, to just see precisely what these people say and how they say it in these circumstances, how they react to this. And with social media, of course, that's what you get there's a lot of bravado. A lot of these people probably aren't remotely dangerous. They're probably idiots um, who wouldn't know one end of a gun from another. But that's not the point. The point is that these people are reveling in the idea that PSNI officers are at least apprehensive and might be attacked. And clearly in some of these cases, if these people did have the capability to follow through on what they intend, it would be very, very bad for police officers. So I think what, what you see there is that this this is not some sort of theoretical risk. This is. Really really obvious and really stark and when you look at some of those comments it's unmistakable.
0: ACC Todd last night referred to as a human error by a junior member of staff which I'm sure is true
1: but surely this also hints at systematic failure yes I mean I, I I was shocked when I heard that comment last night I was also shocked at last night when the assistant chief constable Todd came out to do that press conference he said that the chief constable was not I mean he, he 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 didn't literally say this I think but he basically indicated that the PSNI chief constable Simon Byrne was not planning to break his holiday and come back for this he said he's being kept informed of this of course as you would imagine Um, but he was still very much firmly on holiday this this guy at a, at a more junior level, a very senior police officer but not the top guy he was the person that was going to be dealing with. No, the, now that has changed quite substantially in recent hours and the Chief Constable now has made clear that he is flying home from his holiday um, that he will be at the policing board tomorrow that he will be fronting up for this and I think that is something which um, was really inevitable here. Somebody at the top of an organisation where things go this catastrophically wrong is expected to be there whoever they are, wherever they are in the world um and it's, it's perfectly understandable that on a family holiday, somebody who is a chief constable, who's himself under pressure, under threat, um, operates in this very difficult environment in Northern Ireland. It's understandable. He wants to get away from it. But aside from anything else, he wasn't going to get a holiday. As soon as this happened, he was going to be working full time anyway. So why not just get back here, be seen to lead from the front? Um, that's happening now. I think that's probably um, going to slightly improve um, his prospects of keeping his job out of this because he seen to be fronting up now. Uh, But yes, clearly last night there was this um, fairly, um, fairly uh, limp attempt to try to say it's bad, but it's not that bad. And one of the other things which Chris Todd said last night was that really there was, there was, there was only the personal information of the, of the person's surname and their initials, that that was it. Now, that's that 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 simply isn't right there are 32 pieces of data for every one of these employees now some of those pieces of data are not terribly useful i think to most people there's an employee number now That's not useful to me. But if you want to blag your way into something, that might be useful. So I'm not even saying that something like that isn't important. It may well be. It's certainly very personal information. But the idea that you identify an individual by their surname, by their initials, by their gender, by the place where they work, and then you say... Oh, by the way, they work in MI5's headquarters. I mean, that's astonishingly personal information. By this morning on the Nolan show, he had really changed his tune, I think, quite significantly. And he made clear that this was very serious. And he also made clear, I think admirably, that whoever the junior member of staff was that was responsible for hitting send on this erroneously, they're not really the person to blame here. Yes, they made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. This system is meant to be built so that it's indestructible to those sorts of human mistakes. They know it's operated by humans. In this case, they know it's operated by humans at a very junior level from what he has said. Um, so you've got this extraordinary situation where a person that we're told is at a junior level was he able to publish that and you know that, again, is just mind-boggling.
0: I mean, it seems incredible that every single PSNI officer plus
1: all the staff are listed in one spreadsheet. Surely that can't be a good practice. Well, I mean, look, I I don't work in HR, I don't work in security. I'm not sure how this operates, but it is clear from talking to people in the police and formerly in the police that this sort of data is seen within, even within the police as ultra sensitive. So just because you're a police officer, even quite a senior police officer, you don't get to see this stuff. This is locked down in the same way that your employment details or my employment details are locked down by the Belfast Telegraph. Um, it is a very serious thing, even within an organisation where all that is dumped out and people's home address, their their next of kin, all of that, all of that sort of um very personal detail. So this, this is guarded sensitively in any organisation, in the PSNI Obviously, um, to, to a much greater degree, these are the people who say to their officers... Be discreet about your personal relationships. Be discreet about who you tell that you're in the PSNI. Some of these officers haven't told their families. Was so somebody who contacted me last night and said he was a serving officer. His family don't know that he's in the in the uh, police. Um, he's already had to move house from one town because he was told there was a, there was a threat to his life there. I mean, that's the sort of environment, the sort of pressure these people um operate under, and for their own organisation to have allowed this to happen is pretty incredible. And I think one of the ironies of this, which the journalist Brendan Hughes was picking up on last night, is that the PSNI does not have a reputation for openness when it comes to FOI requests, freedom of information requests. They have a reputation, a pretty notorious reputation for giving you as little as they can get away with. And in this instance, that hasn't saved them. And what seems to have happened here, and there'll be an inquiry. Someone will look at this in great detail. They'll probably be able to map it out in quite granular detail as to different keystrokes and who who, who did what and when and how. But look, looking at this, it seems that what happened was this information was locked down very securely. Maybe... Maybe, maybe this might seem a strange thing to say, maybe too securely for the people who needed to use it. And so they took it out of the secure system, copied it into an insecure system, an Excel spreadsheet. And in that spreadsheet, they seem to have run sums on it, calculations. So there are 6,799 um, people in this. You obviously can't count those by hand. You have to use the computer to, to um, help you get the data you need to say, here are how many people are at each grade. But when they've done that, they've forgotten to delete the information. So it's in the same um, document that is ultimately going to be released. They've then forgotten to, to uh, delete it. And it's in a tab, which is not hidden, but it's not the first thing that comes up when you open the document. The first thing that comes up is this fairly innocuous table that says, we've got so many officers at this level and so-and-so, so-and-so is at this rank. Um, and it's only when you look at the bottom that you realise, oh, there's a second tab, full data. Um, and that's where, that's where this sits. So some some people I think um, with work um, laptops with work phones will be will be able to identify with this in some ways. Sometimes companies lock down their, their, their electronic systems so tightly that it actually is counterproductive. So people aren't able to work within the parameters that their company has allowed them to operate within. Maybe they're not allowed to download basic apps onto their phone or they can't copy and paste or whatever it might be. And so they find ways around it and they send it to a personal phone that's much less secure or whatever it is. We saw this in the Northern Ireland Civil Service during the RHI scandal where people were copying and pasting stuff out of the, the, the very secure government system into Hotmail accounts because that was more straightforward for them. That seems to be potentially part of what's happened here.
0: Obviously, another element of this could be the potential for compensation. Mike Nesbitt, a member of the policing board, was on the Nolan show uh, this morning and talked about as much as twenty million pounds—is that possible, Sam? Could this because that's a huge cost for an organisation that is already
1: struggling for funding? It's a—it's a—it's a mammoth sum. I mean. That, I think, to be fair to Mike Nesbitt, he was plucking figures out of the air, trying in some way to quantify what this might cost. Um, He was basing that on essentially the idea that most payments to individuals under GDPR, the the EU-wide data protection regulations, which now apply to us, that they're around £2,000. So if you multiply that up by about 10,000 people, it's something like it's more than £20 million I think actually there are potentially two significant ways in which this is going to cost the PSNI financially. The first is through officers taking civil actions um, and employees, who shouldn't be forgotten in this, taking civil actions because in some ways the breach with employees is actually more egregious than with officers. Many officers are known, obviously at a senior level we see them, um, we see them out on the streets in many cases with their names on their badges In some cases, that's not the case, obviously. If they work in certain areas, in surveillance or undercover, whatever it is, they're not. So I'm not minimising that at all. But when it comes to civilian staff, it's a completely different situation. They have an expectation of complete privacy. They are not public um, officers who are facing the public in any way whatsoever. And so for their information to be out there might be even more damaging financially. So... Lots of those people are already exploring with solicitors and solicitors are exploring with them as to how they can um, take this to court. There may well be a court case, there may well be an out-of-court settlement, but it's going to be a lot of money whatever happens. And if you think of a hypothetical situation where a police officer says that they have to leave their home uh, because they feel unsafe there. Maybe they're formally told by the PSNI, we know that dissident Republicans have your details through this. Or maybe they just don't feel safe there. Their, 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 their partner doesn't feel safe there. Their kids don't feel safe if they know what they do. Uh, and they want to move somewhere else. It's very easy to see how they have an arguable case, at the very least, to say the police are the people responsible for that and they should foot the bill. Now. If that's multiplied across Northern Ireland, even hundreds of times, that's an enormous bill. The second area of financial penalty is the Information Commissioner's Office, and they police data protection, they have very extensive powers, they can, I think, fine organisations up to something like 4% of their turnover, Um, so there will presumably be a multi-million pound fine from the ICO for that, Um, but in reality, I think, when you strip all this away, if at the end of the day, this ends up with some people losing their jobs and with the PSNI losing a lot of money, it will be something of a success in the situation that we now are in because if somebody doesn't die or get attacked or at least be in a position where that is possible, um, they will have got off quite lightly here given the scale of what they've released. Thursday morning,
0: we've got the the policing board. Um, We know that Chief Constable Simon Byrne is going to be
1: there. What can we expect from that? I mean... (sighs) I think that anyone who has watched parliamentary committees, there was was one in the Doyle recently with Ryan Tuberty, there have been lots at Stormont, there have been lots at Westminster. Um, Often you get a lot of grandstanding, you get a lot of theatrics and you get quite poor questions. Um, I think it's very important for the police, for the chief constable to be seen, to be fronting up, to be there, to be leading from the front, to be holding his hands up very high and saying, we've got this wrong and I'm the guy to blame because I'm at the top of this organisation. But in terms of the sort of questioning that you'll Get from members of the policing board. There are some people like Mike Nesbit, who's obviously a former journalist, who is a pretty sharp questioner. Um, but I I watched a recent um, uh, session of the policing board for a for a separate story in recent weeks for for the Belfast Telegraph, and I I, I was just astonished at how poor it was. I mean, it was inept. It was limp. Um, there was there was no attempt to hold the police to account in a meaningful way. And I think part of the the real story here is that the police have run out of control in a way, not in a malevolent way where they've done this deliberately. This, I think it seems pretty clear, is incompetence, really gross incompetence. But it's happened in multiple areas of the police. This isn't the only problem facing the police service right now. And the policing board and the police ombudsman have not been on top of this they have not been the watchdogs at the good friday agreement that the patent commission established them to be they were meant to prevent really bad behavior happening now this is a ma- this is a massive error it might still have happened i'm not suggesting that anybody can stop all of these things all the time but the number of crises within the psni over recent months and recent years is incredible and they're not on top of it. So will we see them um, beating their chests a bit tomorrow and trying to show that they're holding them to account? Perhaps, but in this case, the horse has bolted and they they, they were not able to stop this horse before it got out of the stable um, or even be able to put in place any sort of wider um, structures that might be able to hold the police to account in a meaningful way. Is there a possibility that this
0: could spiral to the point where we see senior resignations or, or heads rolling I'm
1: thinking Simon Byrne in particular. I mean I think if anybody does resign here, I think Simon Byrne is the most likely person. He's the person at the top. Um Chris Todd, who is the person that was speaking for the police in this last night, is in is in charge of their information security. Um it's 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 under his part of the the um police which um this falls. But he joined the force last year. He's come in from England. Um he's relatively new. Simon Byrne has been in post now for a long time. He's just had his term extended. There has been significant pressure on him internally. He's not popular with a section of his officers. Some of those people have been speaking to me, speaking to my colleagues over recent weeks. Um, and I should I should say for balance that I spoke to somebody earlier today who said um that from from a police perspective that Simon Byrne and they were they were not a massive fan of him. They were not coming out to say, look, he should stay or anything like that. But they said he does some things very well and he does some things dreadfully. Um, he's dreadful in terms of how he comes across in public often. Um, he often doesn't give the sense of being in control of these sorts of situations. But this person said that actually behind the scenes, he can be very empathetic, um, he can be very humble, um, he can do quite menial tasks around the police estate. Um, he's not some arrogant, high and mighty person. So I'm not trying to suggest that this this is this this is wholly on his shoulders or that he is entirely to blame for this. But I think Think that if it's not going to be the junior officer, and I think most people would agree that it's pretty unlikely that that would be a fair outcome here. Um, it has to be somebody pretty senior, and I think given the vulnerability of his position going into this, there has to be a question about whether he survives this. Sam, this is far from the first
0: PSNI story you've covered in the recent in recent weeks, and
1: one of those had a, a data protection element. Well, I, I mean that was that was one of the things that struck me last night. So just over. A week ago, two weeks ago, I think it was, I've lost track of time here, almost two weeks ago, we reported that a serving PSNI officer was... um, was on holiday in Portugal during the the first COVID lockdown. Um, during that summer, where where the um COVID restrictions started to ease a bit, and countries were coming into the red zone and into the amber zone and moving about, it was all very confusing. He came back to work after having been on holiday, and he was told um, that he wasn't allowed to be there. He had to quarantine for whatever number of days. He went away and did that, came back in, and was told he was under investigation by the Professional Standards Department within the police the the Police Discipline Unit, basically for. Or having broken the law. To cut a long story short, he didn't break the law. We can say that conclusively because a court found that he hadn't broken the law. But three years on, he is still being investigated by the police. He's still being disciplined by the police. He still can't go back to his job, even though the police have been very public in saying that they don't have enough officers to perform basic policing tasks. But that's not all. When he was um, questioned about this, they asked him for his mobile phone his personal mobile phone, and he handed it over. And they ripped all the data out of that phone, years of data, everything, personal stuff, family stuff, everything, text messages, whatever was on it, they got it, an enormous tranche of information. And from that, they then started digging into all sorts of other stuff. And as I understand it, and the police haven't contradicted this, There is nothing to suggest that this person was involved in terrorism, in paedophilia, in anything of that really serious category. But insofar as if you took anybody's phone and you went back six years, would you find anything that was slightly questionable that somebody shouldn't have said, that was an error of judgment, whatever? You probably would. And that's why it's, that's why the law on this is very strict. You're not simply able to pick somebody's phone up and rifle through it to see if you can find something that they've done wrong, because that could lead to all sorts of people being persecuted for for all sorts of reasons of bias or whatever. And the police admitted in the high court when this was challenged that they broke the law. They broke the Data Protection Act in how they handled that phone. They didn't stop the disciplinary process. They didn't in any way meaningfully apologize for that, but they admitted in court and they paid costs. That officer is still being investigated and disciplined by the police, even though a court has ruled he didn't break the law. The people who the police admit did break the law by ripping that data off his phone are not being disciplined, let alone prosecuted. So link that back into this story. There's a culture in this organisation which has developed, which the chief constable was aware of because it was in the front page of our newspaper. And he was aware of it, I think, before that. There was a a culture where people were known and admitted to have broken the Data Protection Act. That wasn't seen as a serious thing. So is it a shock that the police have a problem in terms of data protection? No, it's not. But is it something that that the Chief Constable can now completely wash his hands off, that the police hierarchy can wash their hands off? No. They knew about these court cases, they knew how they were dealt with, and whatever they did around that, it didn't prevent this happening.
0: Sam McBride, thank you for joining me on The Bell Tale. Thank you.